The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. The scripture for today is Judges 10, 1-5. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel, Tola the son of Pua, son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. And he lived at Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. And he judged Israel 23 years. Then he died and was buried at Shamir. After him arose Jair the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years. And he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities, called Havath Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Cayman. This is the word of the Lord. I, uh, days like today are, are one of the days that remind me why I love just preaching straight through books of the Bible. Uh, because it means we don't get to skip over things we probably normally would. And in my own life, I have found that it's in those places God tends to have a very surprising word for me. And I'm also thankful because being a pastor of a local church, it is impossible to write sermons without your congregation in your head. And I think this is a word for us that a lot of us just desperately need. So let's pray. Father, I am grateful for your word, for every part of it that you've given to us with purpose. And I pray that this morning, your spirit who inspired your word would shine a light through it into our hearts, brighten up our world, that we may see more of who you are and how you're at work. We love you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, by your spirit. So if you haven't gotten a chance yet, I invite you to open your Bibles to Judges chapter 10. We're just in the first five verses, so Judges chapter 10. Um, I remember this time when I was a kid, I was visiting a friend who in his neighborhood, they had a pool. In order to be allowed to swim in the neighborhood pool, you had to prove to the lifeguard that you could actually swim. You did that by swimming across the deep end and back. So... That's what I aim to do so I could go swimming with my friend. I, I dive into the deep end and the journey across goes just fine. As a matter of fact, the journey on the way back goes just fine until the very end. You see, I had my eyes closed because I don't know if you have ever been in a public pool, but the chlorine levels are off the charts and they will melt your eyeballs out of your head. So my eyes are closed and apparently my stroke was timed just right that I didn't hit the side of the pool with my hand. I hit it with my face. And it was like one of those concrete walled pools. So for the rest of the summer, I had a scab from forehead to tip of nose. I looked rather awesome. I passed the test, okay? That's, that's the point that everybody should remember. I passed. My face was smashed, but I passed. That experience, I was reminded of it last Sunday as we dove back into the deep end of Judges. Because that's what it felt like to me. Like, eyes closed or not, Judges is a dark book. And we slammed back into it face first. Not into concrete, but kind of into a literal stone. As we watched Abimelech 
sacrifice 70 of his brothers on a stone? Did that not just smack you in the face? Like, welcome back to Judges, 70 murders. That rivals the darkness of any Netflix true crime series. I mean, didn't we just go from like the bright light and life of Easter and we just come from that to what feels like face planting into darkness and death. I don't know about you, but after diving back into the deep end of Judges, I already feel like I need to come up for air. And shades, that's why, thank goodness, for Judges chapter 10, verses 1 through 5 which I believe is designed precisely to help us catch our breath. Because honestly, I told you already, things are only going to get darker from here. They're only going to get worse. Like if you think last week Abimelech killing his brothers was bad, get ready. Next week we're going to watch Jephthah kill his own kid. Then we'll see Samson kill himself. And then we will watch all of Israel implode upon itself with death. Shades, in the dark, deep end of Judges, we need a moment to come up for air. We, we need hope to help us inhale so that our faith doesn't suffocate. Like, we need a moment of grace, and that's what God gives us right here. And he does it through the first two words of this passage. Read it with me. Judges 10 and verse 1, after Abimelech. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel, Tola. I've just got one, one overarching truth for us to see today. It, it, it comes at us in two pieces, so we'll just start with the first half of the truth. It's simply this. Because of God's grace, there is an after. Because of God's grace, there is an after. After Abimelech. That's such a grace-filled phrase. I mean, all the destruction and death that we saw come through Abimelech, that's not the end of the story. There's an after. After Abimelech. And there's an after because of God's grace. For we read, after Abimelech, there arose to save Israel Tola. Those words are packed with grace. Let me just unpack it for you through three things. Three, three ways we see God's grace. First, there arose. That's God's action. Linguistically, that's a callback to Judges chapter 5. These same words were used to describe Deborah. He's one of the greatest judges that we've seen throughout this entire book. And that linguistic callback is meant to make us hear or recognize we're seeing something similar right here to what we saw with Deborah. We're seeing God do his great saving work again. There is an after Abimelech precisely because God graciously raises up another judge, another savior, which leads us to unpack the second thing, to save Israel. There arose... To save Israel. God's action and God's aim. His action, there arose. He raised up a judge. His aim, to save Israel, his people. Very interesting right here. Israel doesn't 
call out for salvation. There's no cry to God. There's no regret. There's no request on their behalf. And God graciously saves them anyway. Do you see? Do you see how much this is packed with God's grace? He doesn't abandon his people to the Abimelechs of this world. No, there is an after Abimelech because God graciously saves. And he does throw so through a savior. That's the third way we see God's grace right here. The third thing, Tola. There arose God's action to save Israel, his aim, Tola. Tola is the anti-Abimelech. He's the opposite. If, if Abimelech represents the kind of saviors this world looks to, those who are prideful, arrogant, ambitious, will take at whatever cost they need to, doesn't matter how many people they leave in their wake along the way, then Tola's the exact opposite. He's not the world's kind of savior. He's God's kind of savior. We see that without even seeing that much about him. I mean, the details right here are really, really sparse. We don't get much about him besides his name. We know a little bit about his uh, genealogy. We get the name of his father and his grandfather, but we don't have any clue who they are, so that means nothing to us. We hear that he's from the hill country of Ephraim. That was just across the way from Shechem, where like Abimelech and all his death and destruction was. This is, this is just across the way, which makes it seem like this is God's gracious way of responding to all that chaos and bringing about his salvation. Other than just those little bitty details, though, we don't get anything except for Tola's name. And that is because Tola is what we call a minor judge. In this book, we've got major judges, we've got minor judges. It has nothing to do with how important they are. It has everything to do with how much page space they get. Major judges, major page space. Minor judges, little bitty page space. We get six of each. Six major judges. We've already been through four of them. I've, I want to be really mean and see if y'all can name them. We could even play. We could even play sides of the room right here. I heard one. So Deborah Barak, which actually counts as one. All right. So Deborah Barak. Who else have we seen? Gideon. One to one. We haven't gotten to Samson yet. He's coming. He's one of our two that are left. Ehud and Othniel. Man, come, come on. Come. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anyway, those are the four we've seen. The two we've got coming are Samson and Jephthah. Jephthah's actually next. And those six major judges, their stories get played out in a major way for us because they come at us in a six-step cycle. I'm not going to make y'all do that, okay? The six-step cycle is rebellion, regret, excuse me, rebellion, wrath, regret, rescue, rest, repeat, all right. So, but in addition to those six major judges, with that major cycle, we get six minor judges. And their stories break that six-step cycle mode because their stories can barely be called stories at all. It's more like they just kind of get honorable mentions. They come at us as breaks in the action. All this action with a major judge, break for minor judges. And what's very interesting is the minor judges come at us in escalating breaks. What do I mean by that? I mean, the first time we saw a minor judge, back in Judges chapter 3, we only got one, Shamgar. This is our second time 
seeing some minor judges. And we get two, Tola and Jair. In Judges 12, we'll get our last set of minor judges, and we will get three. One, two, three. They come at us as breaks, but breaks that grow bigger each time, escalating breaks. And I believe that that is on purpose to point us to God's grace. How? How? Look, like this. Throughout the book of Judges, we've talked about the fact that the darkness escalates, right? It gets bigger, it gets deeper, it gets darker. So, as the darkness escalates, so do the breaks that shine forth the bright light of God's grace right in the midst of the dark. It's what we saw through Shamgar. Is that not what we've seen so far through this minor judge break? Have we not seen God's grace? That because of his grace, there is an after. There's an after Abimelech. He graciously raised up another judge. That's his action. Graciously to save Israel. That's his aim. And we even see his grace displayed through the judge's name, Tola. He's the anti-Abimelech. We know that because of what his name means. Do you know what Tola means? Worm. It means how does that display God's grace? Because it stands in direct contrast with Abimelech. Do you remember what Abimelech's name meant? My father is king. And we saw Abimelech live out his name in arrogance, asserting his own greatness, sacrificing others to save himself. But in Tola's name, we see God's kind of savior, one who is lowly, humble, one who comes in humility, not to be served, but to serve and to save. Tola doesn't elevate himself. He elevates God's grace. Through him, we see the truth that because of God's grace, there is an after. So Shades, I ask, what Abimelech are you facing? Like in your life, right now, what person or, or thing or event, what, what looks like it is more of a king than God? Like what Abimelech in your life has you convinced that chaos is in control? That destruction and death are what get to win in the end? What's your Abimelech? Cancer? Some other illness that had you convinced God is not in control? What's your, what's your Abimelech? Infertility? You've got this holy longing for children and it feels like God is not even on his throne or in control. What's, what, what's your Abimelech? Loneliness? Maybe in the midst of singleness? Or maybe in the midst of marriage? What's your Abimelech? The culture? Does that make it seem like God isn't ruling and reigning? Is your Abimelech anxiety and depression that feels like there is no way in your life you will ever overcome or defeat it? The minor judge, this, this minor judge's break is meant to break into that darkness that you're feeling, that you're in the middle of, 
This minor judge's break is meant to break into that darkness with the gospel light, the gospel truth that there is an after Abimelech for you. There's an after. Like whatever you're going through, there's an after. I know that because God has sent a greater Tola than the one we see in Judges chapter 10. And he sent a greater Tola to take care of every Abimelech ever. Jesus Christ arose as God's supreme judge to save God's people, to save you. He came gentle and lowly in humility, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, for you and for me. And his death and resurrection guarantee there is an after Abimelech for us. But so what? Maybe you all hear all of that and you're like, that's great, Jonathan. That doesn't help me right now. Right now when it seems like my Abimelech, whatever it is, is ruling and reigning as king. Right now as I live in the midst of judges like darkness, what difference does the gospel make right now? Like, like it's great, Jonathan, that you say one day there will be an after. But how's that helpful now? Shades, I think that is precisely why that question, I think that question is why our minor judges break isn't over after Tola. No, we need this break to escalate, to get bigger so we can see how, how the light of the gospel breaks into our darkness right now. I only gave you half of our overarching truth. We need, to, we need that truth to escalate with the second half. Let me give you the whole thing. Overarching truth. Because of God's grace, there is an after which redefines our present in light of the permanent. I'm going to unpack that. Because of God's grace, there is an after, which, that after, that will come, it redefines our present in light of the permanent. Unpack that with me. Judges chapter 10 and verse 3. After him, that's after Tola, arose Jair, the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities called Havath Jair, literally the villages of Jair, to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. So Jair's name means, uh, may God enlighten. May God reveal shine a light on. And I do think that through Jair, God is aiming to shine a light, reveal, to help us see. To see what? I think God, through Jair, is helping us see how our present, in the midst of all our darkness, should be redefined in light of the permanent. We're, we're told that Jair judged Israel for how long? 22 years. That does remind me of one detail I left out as we were going through the details about Tola. I left out how long he reigned. Look back up to verse 2. And Tola judged Israel 23 years. So, so get this picture, okay? Tola saves Israel. We get peace for 23 years. And then apparently without interruption, Jair judges Israel. 22 years, giving us a total of 
Y'all got to catch up. They are ahead. 45. I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear anything from that side of the room. All right. 45 years. Gives us a total of 45 years of peace. Here's the deal. Scripture uses the round number of 40 years to talk about a generation, an entire generation. So what we're getting right here is we are getting peace for a generation and then some. Peace plus. Like, like this is a picture of extravagant, excessive, escalating peace. Especially when we contrast it with Abimelech's reign of death. Anybody remember that from last week? How long Abimelech reigned? I'll give it to you. Three years. Three years. Contrast that with 45 years of peace. It's like after Abimelech, God doesn't just pour out grace. He pours out grace upon grace upon grace, peace upon peace upon peace, to the extent that it must have felt like that peace was permanent. I think that's what the weird verse 4 is meant to communicate to us, that the peace felt kind of permanent. Look at verse 4. Super weird. Jair had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities called Havath Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. Who cares? 30 sons who Jair apparently sends out to spread and maintain peace. That's what we're meant to see by the fact that they come riding on donkeys. Donkeys are beasts of peace. Horses are for war. Right? Those who rule and reign... Biblical times ride donkeys during times of of peace. And so they come riding into 30 cities, in other words, throughout the land, bringing peace everywhere for a generation plus. You see how big this peace is meant to feel, a peace that must have felt permanent. But here's the deal, Shades, we know that it wasn't. There's actually one more detail I left out about Tola. You've already assumed it, but you can see it. If you look back up to verse 2, it tells us Tola died. And we read the same thing about Jair. Verse 5, Jair died and was buried in Kaman, which makes me want to go, come on! I've been waiting all week to drop that stupid joke, which I knew wouldn't land, but I was like, I'm dropping it anyway, because I like it. It makes me laugh. I say, come on, because every judge dies. Every book that we have encountered in the book of Judges, there are stories all in the same. Good judge, bad judge, or otherwise, they die. And whatever peace they were able to bring dies with them. Even the expansive peace of Jair and his 30 sons. Shades, what we need, what we need is we need someone, a judge to come who will escalate peace to be truly permanent. Shades, do you see? We need a judge that doesn't die. Do do you see through Jair? The Lord is helping us to see because everything in the Old Testament, we've seen this again and again and again as we've walked through Judges, everything in the Old Testament is a pointer beyond itself. The New Testament describes the Old Testament as being like a shadow pointing us forward to the substance and the substance is Christ. It's all leading us somewhere, taking us somewhere and that's true of these minor judges as well. Through Jair, may the Lord enlighten our hearts to see the reality to which all of this is pointing. God himself sent his son, not 30 sons, 
just one. And he came riding on a donkey, bringing peace, not merely to 30 cities, but to all of creation, which the book of Revelation pictures as one city, the new Jerusalem. And there, peace will be permanent because it's going to be ruled by a judge who doesn't die. Jesus. Revelation eleven fifteen is going to be a reality. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign, not for 22 years, not for 23 years, forever and ever. Shades, that's our after. That, that is coming And that, that's a permanent reality that's coming. And that permanent reality is already breaking in, redefining our present. It has broken in through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The age to come, breaking into the present. When death loses and life wins. And for any of you that know Jesus, his resurrection life is already breaking into you. That permanent reality that's coming is breaking in and redefining our present. That permanent light and life is breaking into the present darkness and death. It's breaking in like a minor judge. Right in the middle of the darkness of judges, here comes the minor judge to break in with a little bit of light. The gospel truth of what's coming breaks into our lives in the same way. These minor judges, they give us breaks in this overarching book to help us breathe for a moment. The gospel good news of Jesus Christ breaks into the midst of this dark world, helping us to breathe, filling our lungs with hope that helps us to inhale. Breathe the breath of faith. Live the life of faith. It's like... The, the, the way in which the permanent helps redefine our present. Let me, let me help flesh that out for you. It's, it's like the opposite of what 20th century philosopher uh, Martin Heidegger called being towards death. Everybody sits around on your, in your armchairs reading Martin Heidegger at night, I know. Um, Martin Heidegger, he had this phrase in his philosophy called being towards death. What, what, what he means is that our existence... Our being is pointed in a direction. It's headed towards a destination. That destination is death. And we know it. We live, we exist, being towards death. And Heidegger says that shapes every single moment of our lives. Or at least it should, he would say. To live any other way is to live inauthentically. In other words, to live the way our culture does, trying to deny the reality of death, pretend that it happens to everybody else but never to me, is to not live authentically. Heidegger saw us, in reality, as being towards death. But here's what I want you to see, what I'm trying to get us to see right here. The Bible flips what Heidegger says on its head. Christopher Watkins says it best. For the Bible, my death does not loom as the great immovable event to dwarf all other events. No, the great future event 
that blazes its glorious light across all Christian experience is the fulfillment of God's promises and the return of Christ. Eternal life in new creation. In other words, Shades, if none of that philosophical mumbo-jumbo meant anything to you, then just take it right here. In other words, the Christian experience of existence is not being towards death, it's being towards life. It's an existence that is moving not only towards death because there is an after. There is a permanent after that is characterized by life and Christ will bring it to pass. And knowledge of the coming of Christ should shine a light that affects and shapes every single moment of our lives. To live any other way is to live inauthentically as a Christian. To live as if death is the end and this life is all there is is to live an inauthentic Christian life. It is only when the permanent reality breaks in and comes to bear on our present, filling us with hope so that we march forth in life, living and breathing this life of faith. That's the only way to live authentically as a believer in Christ. We live in light of a coming permanent reality that breaks into the darkness of our present, helping us to catch our breath and fill our spiritual lungs with hope. Shades, do you you see Do you see how these minor judges point us to a major reality that will fill every page of all eternity? What reality am I talking about? Because of God's grace, there will be an after. And it will last forever. And that permanent reality breaks into our present darkness, fills our spiritual lungs with hope so that we breathe the breath of faith. We live a life of faith. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says it explicitly. Though our outer self is wasting away, though that we live in the midst of this darkness and death, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, the permanent coming reality, we look to that. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal and a permanent coming reality. So yes, shades, as we live in the midst of the darkness of this world, I'm not saying that we are not a people who are sorrowful and affected by darkness and death. No, we are. But while we live sorrowful as we face Abimelech's in this life, even as we're sorrowful, we are a people who are rejoicing because we know that an after Abimelech is coming. So I'm empowered to sing through this life. To sing things like, I'm empowered to sing with Psalm 23, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and darkness right now, I will fear no evil right now. Why? Because there is a permanent reality coming that is breaking into the present. What is that permanent reality in Psalm 23? It is that after this valley of shadow of death, I will sit down at the table of the Lord and he will anoint my head with oil. So right now I will fear no evil. Because of God's grace, there's an after. So I can sing not just with Psalm 23. This is all over the Psalter. I can sing with Psalm 30 in verse 5. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Because of God's grace, there's an after. So I can sing Psalm 23, Psalm 30, Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. 
He who goes out with sorrow and weeping amidst the dark world that we live in and all of its death seemingly empty-handed will come home full, hands full, life and, and joy, shades. Because of God's grace, there is an after which redefines our present in light of the permanent. May that gospel truth break into your life with an ever-escalating effect, like our minor judges break into the darkness of this book. May the gospel truth that because of God's grace, there's an after for you. May that break in, redefining your present in light of the permanent with an ever-escalating effect. May you know, believe, and embrace the truth shades. There is an after Abimelech. Pray with me. Father, I am grateful that none of our stories end with an Abimelech. None of our stories end in darkness. None of our stories end in death. Because through the great judge, prefigured by every other judge ever, through the great judge Jesus, you have secured an after. I pray that reality is constantly brought to bear on how we live our lives right now. That as we face darkness and death, the way we live in the midst of it would be shaped by what we know is coming and will be permanently true. May we be shaped to be a people who love, trust, and celebrate you. In the midst of a dark world, may we be a people who sing and live in line with that bright gospel good news. Pray these things in the name of your son who purchased this good news by the power of your spirit who applies this good news.